the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Really interesting verse, at least in my opinion, about Samuel, who we're taking a, a look at. First Samuel 3.19 says, Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. Isn't that something? None of Samuel's words, nor God's words spoken through Samuel, were for naught. They did bear fruit, and our lives can bear fruit for the Lord as well. And with that, we welcome you to Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland here along with Bert Harper. And you are listening to the American Family Radio Network. We're so glad you are. Uh, Bert, our look at the life of Samuel is very inspiring to me. How about you, my friend? I agree with you. Uh, from his conception all the way to the very end, we find a man uh, faithful. We find a man that had to deal with some disappointments, uh, had to deal with some rejection, to be honest. But we find him doing his job, and he stayed faithful. Alex, uh, that's like the watchman on the wall. Uh, you got to stay there. You got to be alert. You got to be ready. And uh, I would say uh, Samuel fulfilled his positions as prophet, priest, and judge. And uh, yeah. that's, that's good. You know, anytime you can say you have fulfilled your purpose uh, in this life that God has laid out for you uh, is a great testimony, brother. Well, amen. Amen. You know, um, it, it seems like there are three preachers that we mention a lot. Adrian <laughs> Rogers, uh, Vance Havner. And folks, if you don't know who Vance Havner was, uh, look into that. Vance Havner was a great man of God. But we often reference Billy Graham. And uh, have you ever been to the Billy Graham Library there in Charlotte, Burt? Yes, I have. Great place. I recommend. There's three places I recommend real highly as a believer if you can get there. The Bible Museum in Washington, D.C., the, the Ark Encounter along with the Creation Museum, and the Billy mm -hmm. Graham uh, you know, museum there uh, in Charlotte. Amen. And uh, if you can't go to there, go to the Cove, and you can walk through the hallways and get a pretty good view of Billy Graham's ministry as well. Amen. Well, you know, um, there on site at the Billy Graham Museum is the, the burial place of Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, and evangelist Billy Graham himself, and his epitaph, it says, Preacher of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, what, what an incredible legacy. To, I mean, you could be remembered for a lot of things, but to be remembered as a preacher of the gospel, what a great thing. And when I read about Samuel, Sam, 1 Samuel 3.19, the Lord was with him, and none of his words fell to the ground. In other words, his words, his life, it was not for naught. In the New Testament, a verse we mention quite frequently sometimes is 1 Corinthians 15.58, that says your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, um, I looked up, you know, this 1 Samuel 3.19, quote, fall to the ground. And I thought, I wonder if there's some meaning behind that. But in the Hebrew, it, it really means fall to the ground. <laughs> so it says none of, none of his words fell to the ground. So basically it means it, they, they went to where they were supposed to go. Yeah. Just like Billy Graham, the evangelist, just like Adrian Rogers, the pastor. If you want your life to count, if you want your time here on this earth to stand for something, build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and, quote, none of your words will fall to the ground. Great word. And again, it will go forth. His word will go forth and accomplish. It doesn't fall short. Our, you know, our lives fall short. You know, we all sin and come short of the glory of God. But the word of God is settled in heaven. It abides forever. And so it was. That's why here on Exploring the Word, we do our best to share with you what the word of God says. And again, uh, a lot of times people ask questions. And honestly, the Bible does not give a complete answer. So we have to say, well, we know this much about it, but we don't know the rest of the story. Kind of like Paul Harvey. You, we don't know the rest of the story sometimes, Alex. And uh, But God's word is true. And that's how we introduced Samuel yesterday at uh, his mother praying and God answering that prayer she completed her mission of giving Samuel to the Lord, and then God called Samuel into this ministry. And as we said, we finished out where we started today, that he grew in the Lord, and none of his words fell to the ground. And then, Alex, it doesn't show everything he did, but I do want to read one passage that I think is worthy of of him, and, th- and then we'll fill in the blanks, I, I would say, between chapter 3 and chapter 12, verse 23, and it Mm -hmm. says there, listen to this, uh, they ran and brought him from there, uh, 12, 23, I was in the wrong chapter 23, I'm having to adjust, let me tell everybody, if I miss a word or something, you'll have to, excuse me, I've had some eye surgery and I'm having a difficulty focusing all the time, so I am having a disclaimer here, but here it is. 1 Samuel 12, 23. We're praying for you, Yeah, I know. I appreciate that. I really do. Verse 22 and 23. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake because of it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, this is Samuel speaking, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Alex, I could not help but think of connecting chapter 3, 19, and then 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. Alex, I, that may the Lord help us do what Samuel did here. That beautiful, beautiful connection there. And so uh, there, it, it does connect together. You know, while we're going on through, you know, some of the highlights— you know, let's remember that that um, Samuel anointed Saul, and he anointed King David. And Bert and I were talking earlier about the fact that, you know, really to have a king like other nations was not really God's will for Israel, because their king was the Lord. And uh, in a way, the anointing of Saul as king, they demanded a king. And then uh, Saul became that first king. And Saul had a tragically sad ending. I mean, really, he did not end well. In a way, Samuel's ministry in lifting up Saul as king, it was a ministry of judgment, really. Uh, Now, in David, it was a ministry of blessing. But can a minister sometimes really almost be a a voice of judgment 
in the life of a wayward person or a wayward nation even? Alex, well spoken. And to show you that, let's build up to that, especially, like you said, toward King Saul uh, when, when he uh, gets him ready. And, and that's chapter 7 through chapter 8. And then chapter 9, I'll tell you some of that story. But listen to this. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, this is an example of Samuel's preaching and ministry. I, I, I tried to find a place, Alex, that would... Besides him anointing the two kings, what uh, what summary would be said of Samuel and his ministry? And I think you find that in chapter 7, verses 3 through 6. It says, Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods of the asterisks from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the bales and the asterisks and served the Lord only. Samuel said, Gather all of Israel to Mizpah, and I'll pray for the Lord for you, to the Lord for you. So they gathered, they gathered at Mizpah, drew water, poured it out as a drink offering before the Lord. They fasted that day and said, There, and we have sinned against the Lord, and Samuel judged the children of Israel and Mizpah. That gave a little bit of synopsis of Samuel. Loving the Lord with all your hearts, put away the things that are contrary, the gods, those false gods. But then he said, prepare your hearts for the Lord. In other words, two times he talks about uh, the Lord, put him in your hearts, put away those, and then let the Lord do the work in your heart. Now, stay with me a moment and see if you think yeah, this sure. is does. First, he says, you got to get your heart right. Put a, uh, Before you put those things away, you're going to come to the Lord. He's going to direct you. And then after you put them away, you bring God in to put and, and fill that vacuum. If you just put those gods away without getting your heart, preparing your heart for the Lord, it leaves a vacuum, Alex. And Samuel mm -hmm. didn't want a vacuum to be left. So he said, love the Lord God, put away those gods, and let God fill your hearts with his love and his presence. Amen. Well, you know, I believe Samuel must have been a brave man and a man of character because, um, you know, the people demanded a king, and Samuel's, uh, well, the people rejected Samuel's sons as judges, and they moved from the era of the judges to the era of having a king, and then later after Solomon there would be a civil war. So the I think it's important to point out that really in the life of Israel, remember it says there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But the judges' era, and we, we've talked about a number of the judges, uh, they were kind of like military leaders, but also legal and spiritual leaders. And we've gone from this era of the judges, uh, like Barak and and Deborah, uh, to Saul being king. But then later, in 1 Samuel 15, God tells Samuel to reject Saul as king. Now, that's where I think Samuel has to... He had courage, didn't he? He really to, did, Alex. Because Saul, Saul was not a guy to be trifled with. He was not, and he did that even before dealing with the Philistines. And I want to build up to that one more it says that when he prayed that and he prayed that the Philistines they they really were confused and they again Israel overcame them 
And this is where we get the Ebenezer uh, in chapter 7, verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone, set it up between Mespah and Shin, and called the name Ebenezer, saying, Thus, for the Lord has helped us. It's a stone of help. God has helped us. And then the last part of verse 13, And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Here's this one man, this judge that you were just talking about. He developed this courage early on as he saw God defeat the Philistines. So Saul was no issue. You catch what I'm saying? In other right, words, right. he had the he had the proof of his past to get him ready for what was going to happen with Saul. But right in chapter 8, right before that happened, I, I could not get over this. He's lived the life. He's done a great job. But ver- chapter 8, verse 5 says, uh, Samuel, you're old. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Look, you you're are old. old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. But notice what comes first. You're old, you know. Uh, Alex, Isn't that it, it is. We better be careful how we throw age away too quickly, you know. <laughs> yes. Um, you know what, as a side note, and I don't want to get us off track, because folks, if you're just tuning, tuning into Exploring the Word, we're, we're really crafting a series of messages that we call Prophets, Kings, and Kingdoms, and we're looking at, um, you know, the prophets, uh, one of whom is Samuel, although Samuel served many roles. But as a side question, um, Bert, do you think we'll see Saul in heaven? <clears throat> I don't know. I, let me be very frank. He had actions early on. Early on, he had actions. But I am not sure his heart was ever right. That's, I, I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings. Alex, yes. what about you? Well, you know, uh, let's talk about it after the break. <laughs> Are you going to think about it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, folks, this is Exploring the Word, and we're looking at Samuel, but we're also going to take your calls later on in the show, 888 589-8840 that's the number and stay tuned because Exploring the Word is back after this this is Pause to Pray a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders today we pray for Dennis McDonough United States Secretary of Veterans Affairs. His office oversees veterans benefits, health care, and national veterans memorials and cemeteries. 1 John chapter 3 verses 17 and 18 reminds us of the importance of caring for others. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Dennis McDonough. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says trust comes more naturally with some people than with others. So what makes the difference? We'll find out today as we spend two minutes with Tony. After the second service on most Sundays, Jonathan II runs up the step, comes over to the edge and says, Poppy, which is what he calls me, catch me. But it always wasn't like that. Initially, I picked him up and put him up here. And I stood down there and I said, J2, jump. 
He said, no, no, I'm scared. I said, jump, J2. He said, come closer. The closer I got, the more confident he would have. And so I said, J2, jump. Now at the end of the church, he runs out here and says, catch me. I'm jumping. Sometime he jumped before I even put out my hand. He believes that Poppy is not going to drop him, is not going to let him down, is not going to fall on his face. And once he becomes convinced that he can trust me, he now invites the opportunity to have faith. God wants you to trust his integrity so you can say to him, catch me in this situation. Catch me in this circumstance because I have learned to trust you. I have learned that my God has integrity. Discover how different your life can be when you start taking God at his word. Check with us for details on Dr. Evans' two-volume series, Heroes of the Faith, when you visit us online at TonyEvans.org. And be sure to join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 1.3 American Family Radio Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. like to wait to the end and let you hear Jesus is the answer on that song. You know, we're talking about Samuel, and then we're talking about Saul. And they told Samuel, we want to be like all the others, all the other nations. And they said it, and he warned them what kind of king they would have. And again, Alex, I think that's exactly what you were alluding to about judgment in King Saul. He's going to bring your sons into war. He's going to make your daughters uh, that they are, are, are cooks and and so forth, and you're going to have to give part of your crop to the king. You don't really want that. And they said in chapter 8, verse 19, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us. And it was King Saul that was chosen. And the question, Alex, that's before you, will you see King Saul in heaven, yes or no? Uh, well, you, you know, what's interesting is, you know, if you read like in 1 Samuel 10, uh, Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? And what, what's amazing is uh, it says that the Spirit of God gripped him and he spoke in ecstasy and it says he became another man. Now, I know because we've talked about the fact that Prior to Pentecost, that Spirit of God would come on people, but the Spirit of God would leave people, like case in point is um, Samson, you know. The Spirit of the Lord left him, and he didn't know it. Now, after the resurrection of Christ and Pentecost, if you become a believer, the Spirit of God indwells you for for the rest of your life. So, um, 
the Spirit of the Lord did come upon Saul, and and that's amazing, but um, he ended so poorly. And what's sad is because it was really jealousy. King Saul was really brought down by his own jealousy. Now, it set a lot of things in motion, but wasn't it something that he was a man that, um, you might have heard the old phrase, insanely jealous. I mean, it really did take away his his judgment. And so uh, Saul had reigned for about four decades, a little over four decades. But um, I, I, I just don't know, but it, it certainly, it's a warning sign to guard your heart because, you know, um, to be, to know God, to be around godly people like Samuel, that's a blessing. To be able to serve God, that's a blessing. To have some abilities, to have some influence, some authority, uh, that's a blessing. And don't don't overlook, you know, the, all the blessings God's put around you. Remember in uh, 1 Samuel 18, where the people are shouting, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. And it, it says that Saul was just jealous. And uh, anyway, he's going to do, not only he committed suicide, but he engaged in occult activity. So he did a lot of things that were just absolutely anathema in the eyes of the Lord, didn't he? He really did. But he was the one that that Samuel, through the power of the Holy Spirit, warned them they would get. And notice this in chapter 8, God choosing Saul. And uh, I think this says at 17, and when Samuel saw Saul, that's Saul, Saul, that's hard to say. The Lord oh, said to him, there he is. The man of whom I spoke to you, this one shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where is the seer's house? And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I'll let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. Now, Alex, that's that's pretty good. I'm going to tell all that's in your heart. That's revealing. That's the power of Samuel. And even in the call of Saul, we see him demonstrating both the prophet, priest, and judge of who he is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and Alex, I agree with you. Saul had he had all the physical attributes. You're, you know, he had yeah. he he was a leader of men physically. Head and shoulders, but, you know, yes. as far as we know, a taller than anyone, just a great leader. He, uh, when he walked into Very the room. Very brave. Yeah. When he walked into the room, p- people took notice. He didn't come in. Oh, who is that? No, when he came in. And so God gave them this king that looked the part, okay? He mm-hmm. looked the part, but he lacked that which was on the inside. Uh, wow. and, and Samuel knew that. He had already warned them. But Samuel took the flask of oil in chapter 10 and poured it on his head, kissed him, and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? And mm-hmm. so here is Samuel carrying out his responsibility to, to anoint this man. Now, here's the passing of a torch from a judge to a king. Now, Alex, wow. uh, again, yeah. we're talking about Samuel being that transitional character here. This is a transition in chapter 10 from the leader being a judge to the leader being a king. Mm. 
Hey, you know, we're talking about the life of Samuel here, and there is so much fascinating stuff at a key period in the life of Israel. Um, and Samuel is a person that you read the way God used him, and he tends to be just almost spotless and unblemished, right? Even like Job, you know, we think about Job was just a righteous man. But in a way, now let me digress for a minute, Bert. Um, do you remember the sons of Eli were uh, Hophni and, and Phinehas? Do you right. remember that? Yes, I do. And everybody knows Eli, who accused Hannah of being drunk, uh, Eli's sons didn't follow the Lord. But, you know, if there's one character flaw in the life of Samuel, is it that his sons uh, took bribes, his sons were dishonest, and his sons were named um, Joel and was one uh, Abijah or something uh, like yes that? Yes, it you? is. That's who you find it. You find this in chapter 7 and 8 here. One thing, let me, I'm, I'm going to return it to you real quick, so hold on. Okay. There, You know, in a way, he reminds me of David. David seemed to be an absentee father, not a deserted, not a father deserting, but an absentee. He wasn't there at strategic points. Notice what it says in chapter 7, and, and I don't know this. It's just me trying to fill in the blanks and what we said, we don't know a lot of things, but sometimes we can look in and observe some things. And this is one of those times in First Samuel chapter 7, verse 15, 16, and 17. So Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, faithful in that job, okay? He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, Mezpah, and judged Israel in all those places. But he always returned to Ramoth for his home was there. There he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Now, I, I don't know. That circuit means he was absent a lot of the time. Billy was talked about Billy Graham. Billy Graham has said at the end of his life, his biography, he had one regret, was being gone as much as he was. He, he said someone else could have done what he did if he'd have stayed home more, he didn't say he shouldn't have gone some, but he said, I could have stayed home more with my wife and my children. I I don't know this, uh, but it looks like if you read between the lines, the possibility is him taking that circuit led to those two boys, maybe not catching what their dad had. You know, uh, that's yeah. just, that is speculation looking at scriptures, though, as a, as a base. It, well, and I mean, you mentioned King David, and he had a son, Absalom, that was just a, a very tragic figure, and we talked about the sons of Eli, and as much as we revere Samuel, his sons, Joel and Abijah, seem to not turn out that well, but that's about the only blight I can find on the life of Samuel, uh, uh, otherwise uh, exemplary life. I agree with you. He fulfilled his task. I, I love that. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He did not quit. He stayed in there. He did. Amen, Alex. A amen. And, you know, um, one of the things that I, I think is so precious, and then, then I want to talk about um, the episode with Saul and the, the witch of Endor, uh, but in 1 Samuel 16, um, you remember they were looking for a king, and uh, David would emerge. 
But um, the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance nor his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. This is the NIV. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And different translations will say, you know, uh, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. That is one of the most famous sayings from out of the Bible. I've heard people all over the place say, well, you know, man looks at the outward things, but God sees the heart. And, and that's true. And that's why Samuel had the discernment of God, the perspective of God, to consider the ruddy complexion of, of as the songwriter says, little David. And I think we've always got to do what Samuel did, have God's perspective. Don't look at life from the human perspective, but try to look at your, your priorities, your values, your decisions in light of God's word and God's righteousness. I agree. And, and Samuel had learned that to look at those things. Notice what he said concerning uh, Saul being rejected after Saul had done so many things. And, and he'd say, I've sinned, but then he'd go off and do basically the same thing again. He thought his words would be sufficient. But, but in chapter 15, Samuel said this, has, as the, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? He's asking that question. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as he does in obeying the voice of the Lord? And here's the answer. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Now, yes. now Alex, that's again, uh, here is, is Saul who did a wrong sacrifice, took the place of a, of a priest. And he thought this, this could be the thing that would overcome his, uh, you know, the things that he lacked. He thought, well, I can do this and take someone else's place. But the Lord, he has honored obedience. And uh, again, that was Saul uh, that had called Samuel to say, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Uh, I would say that's true not only then, but true now as well. Amen. Amen. Well said. Well, you know, Samuel, um, I, much has been written about when Saul goes to the witch of Endor and tries to um, conjure up Samuel, who has died. Um, and people have said, well, it, was this real? I mean, did was this really Samuel or what was? Yeah, I tend to think it, it really was I agree with Samuel. you. I, I agree. Um, let me accurate. back that, and then I'll let you take it. Listen. Yeah. God, it wasn't the witch that brought Samuel's spirit back. It was God who intervened in this sordid affair to speak to Saul's heart. You catch that? It wasn't the power yeah. of the witch that brought that back. That's exactly God allowed it. Yes, and 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 Samuel spoke truth. And you know what's interesting? We've talked about this in years past when we've talked through this. But the, the witch of Endor seems startled, actually, maybe right. even afraid. Because, you know, what what is normally one of her deceptive parlor tricks, it's like, oh my goodness, Samuel the prophet is here, you know. But God um, definitely was uh, judging Saul for doing such a thing. And the, I know we're talking about Samuel, but Saul figures so largely in the ministry of Samuel, uh, doesn't he? He really does. And that here, it's worth talking about. It is. And and this is where he had already been rejected. God had already rejected Saul. 
and and at this point in time that you're talking about, Samuel had died, but already he had anointed David as the next king. It had not mm-hmm. been recognized, quote, by Saul uh, completely. He was fighting against it. And so here is Saul uh, doing everything he can to counteract the will of God. And yeah. uh, that's who he is. And even Samuel, quote, speaking <laughs> speaking after death, in, in other words, uh, demonstrates to Saul, there's no hope for you. You know, you have been yeah. rejected. And uh, I don't know everything that means, Alex, but it did say of King Saul, uh, he started out right. He really did, but went downhill all the way. Uh, man, don't live well, your life that way. Start it, and exactly. go up, you know? Uh, exactly. And, and you know what's so ironic is that... Um, King David, well, David, who had been hunted and hounded by Saul for a lot of years, sincerely mourns for uh, Saul's death after this battle um, where um, uh, they're, they're defeated in this battle after the, the uh, episode where uh, the Witch of Endor, you know, has a exactly. seance almost. But, you know, one other thing that uh, it comes out of here is that even though David was maligned and David was hunted, um, David wouldn't speak ill of King Saul uh, as long as King Saul was king. Isn't that something? It is. Samuel, we got about uh, one minute left, less than. Samuel is that transitional individual that he would see him coming from the period of the judges to the time of the kings. He would anoint the first two kings, and again, let's go back to where you started. King Saul seemed to be in judgment of what the people wanted. David seemed to be the redeemer and picture of the redeemer, of redeeming them. And so, uh, Alex, Samuel, what a figure and powerful person he was. And he served until his death. He was faithful. He was. You're listening to Exploring the Word. We're going to come back and take your Bible questions. The number, 888 888- 589-8840 Call us on Exploring the Word AFA Accident Announcing AFA.net slash connect It's the one click that will link you to so many AFA platforms Pick and choose which updates you want to receive Easily subscribe or unsubscribe American Family Studio And to quote our privacy policy American Family Association will not sell, rent, or lease your personal information to outside organizations AFA Journal Make a better connection with AFA at AFA.net slash connect They say actions speak louder than words. Here at the American Family Association, we take that to heart. AFA Action is here to inform and help you get involved in cultural and moral issues. You can also sign up for our AFA Action Alert, which will inform you about these issues every week by email. To sign up and for more information, visit us at afaaction.net. Why are you still sitting there? If you want change, it starts with you. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Acts 17.26 conveys to us the reality that we were born and placed in the 21st century by God's specific design. He determined before time where we would live and when we would live there. 
If you're in Minnesota, Mississippi, or Maine, God put you there on purpose. He's not surprised by the darkness we see around us, nor is he caught off guard by it. In fact, he specifically prepared for it by making sure you're alive right now. God can do whatever he wants, but he's chosen to use you and me as ambassadors of his kingdom. We are his torches to light up the darkness. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with a minute in God's Word to help you keep moving forward. Psalm 107 verse 9 says this, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. A great tool to soothe babies is a pacifier. A pacifier is really fake food, a piece of rubber designed to trick the child. Eventually, the baby catches on when his hunger isn't satisfied, and he's not going to be shy about letting you know he wants the real thing. We all have a deep spiritual hunger that can only be satisfied by a relationship with Jesus Christ. The pacifiers of money, sex, achievement, education, and other things only satisfy us temporarily. Don't live your life being pacified by the things that don't truly satisfy your real hunger. Instead, go to Jesus to satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. We're going to get to your calls, your Bible questions. We'd love to hear from you, and it's 888-589-8840. And, Bert, as we uh, get to the call board, I want to say that I am so excited. Friday through Sunday, uh, September 10 through 12, I'm going to be at the Columbia Exposition Center in Columbia, Mississippi, the Tri-County Baptist Association. It's going to be an evangelistic event. I'm also going to be talking about biblical worldview, and just a lot of things we think will be helpful to share the gospel and equip the church. But uh, I encourage everybody to come out if you're down that way. The Columbia Exposition Center, I'll be there September 10, 11, and 12. Amen. We're praying. I hope you'll join me in praying that it would be a ministry that souls would be saved and uh, Christians disciple to a, to a closer walk. We're going to be praying for that. Well, we have our lines ready for people to ask questions. And Becky was on yesterday, if I remember right. Becky, I'm glad you called back. Yes. Well, thank you. I'm glad I got through. Yes, ma'am. What's your question I was today? Wanting, I was wanting you or Alex, one, to recommend a good chronological Bible for me to get. Let me ask this, Becky. Are you talking about chronologically reading the Bible through in a year, or are you talking about in the order of which it was given? Uh, in the order in which it was given. Okay, that's good. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I've looked at that, and I really believe Thompson Nel Thomas Nelson is a great publisher of the Bible, and they have one, the Chronological Study Bible in the New King James Version, and uh, it takes you through chronologically as best as best we can tell uh the chronological order of which it happens alex you have any other thoughts on that you know that's one i was going to recommend in fact when when that came out 
it's probably been about 14, 15 years ago, the Chronological Study Bible, it, it presents the events of the Bible in the order in which they happened, and they sent me one as a gift, and I got so excited, and uh, I was speaking, and somebody said, I've got to get me one of those, so I gave it away, <laughs> and uh, I've always meant to replace it, but everything I've heard about it is really good, the Chronological Study Bible, and of course, as Bert said, Thomas Nelson is very trusted Christian publisher, so I would encourage you to maybe check out that one. Uh, let me just say, I, I'm, I've told this several times, I think chronologically, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me uh, in my growth in the Lord uh, was studying uh, the Old Testament in chronological order. It really helped me to put things together. In the New Testament, it's not near as hard in the New Testament. It's, it's relatively easy compared to the Old Testament. But getting the Old Testament in chronological order will really, I think, help you get your mind uh, around the working of God and how it happened. So, Becky, thank you for calling back and glad yes. we got that answered. Let's go to Florida. Yeah. Yeah, Florida and Jazz. Jazz, welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for taking my phone call. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you all. Well, thank you. It's our pleasure as well. I want to first thank you guys, as I am always listening to the radio station, and you guys have given me so much wisdom. I feel that the Lord has truly spoken to you through you all, and I just want to thank you for that. Bless um, you. My to first... God be the glory. <laughs> Yes, my, my question is, it's not really a question, it's more of a thank you as to the fact that you were speaking about Samuel being conjured up by the witch. I always had questions about this, as I did not understand how it was possible. And you were able to explain that to me, as you mentioned, that God has all the power and He can intervene however He wants. That was huge to me, as you explained that. Well, thank you, Jazz. Mm. I, I, listen... That is one of the questions that I've heard quite a bit. And uh, Satan, uh, I want to go back to another quote, but Dr. Adrian Rogers, Alex, uh, you remember Jenny Dixon. She got her name oh, yeah. of fame through predicting President John F. Kennedy would be killed in Dallas, and it came about. And mm. after that, people started going to her, and every year in some of those, you know, uh, you know, uh, tabloids, they'd have the 10 predictions of Jenny Dixon for 19, whatever year it was. Dr. Adrian Rogers said she has too many right for it just to be human intuition. And she doesn't mm. get enough right for it to be from God. So you can figure out where it comes from, you know, and, exactly. uh, and so I thought that was good, but here there's no doubt in my mind that God just needed to speak to Saul and he let that happen. So, Jazz, thank well, you. And it, by the way, yes, thank you for listening, and thank you for your kind words. It, it really does mean a lot. But you know what's interesting is, okay, Samuel died at a place called Ramah, and all the people of Israel mourned for him. Great testimony, First Samuel 28.3. But here's the thing. When Samuel had died, uh, it says in... 1 Samuel 28.3, Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. See, King Saul had done good. He was brave. He was a leader. And at one time, the Spirit of God had been upon him, and he, he had put mediums out of the land. Now, why? Because, see, consulting a medium 
or a witch depends on the power of Satan, not of God. But at the end of his life, Saul becomes a desperate man, and he's frantically doing anything and everything. Reminds me of somebody in, in desperation going out and buying lottery tickets or something and trusting the world rather than trusting in God. So let me say uh, you don't get to a place of of crazed desperation overnight. It's a lot of small steps away from God. So, Bert, I think that's why we have to vigilantly make sure we're walking with the Lord each and every day. Amen. If you if your life was a rowboat, you're always rowing against the stream. It, uh, if you just let go, it'll take you downstream fast, and you want to be mm. going toward God. Uh, thank you, Jazz. Let's go to Texas and talk to Forrest. Forrest, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes, go right ahead. Yes. I believe they say that it's pretty much agreed, I think, that demons are fallen angels and that demons can possess people, but you never hear of an angel possessing a person. And it seems like that might have been handy at some point. And I'd just like your thoughts on that. Huh. Okay. Uh, you know, that is... One explanation, and I agree, probably the best one I've heard, they are fallen angels, demonic power. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, the angels don't come in because that's God's territory. Amen. Uh, And uh, you're either, you know, you got three three areas. You're going to be influenced by Satan uh, and even indwelled and, you know, uh, you know, Satan, demonic possession— Empty. Now, I'll just tell you, you won't stay empty long. Something's going to possess that area of your life, Alex. You know, uh, you remember the man that had the demons, and he got rid of them, and he was empty. But then when they came back around, they saw that he was empty, and they came into him worse than it was the first time. Uh, you want to be filled with God, don't you? you? You really do. And so the question is, a non-fallen angel— because a, 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 a demon is a fallen angel, and the caller said, what about an angel possessing a person? Well, um, I agree with what Bert said. A non-fallen angel wouldn't do that because that's God's territory. And, you know, you've got um, your, your human nature, your, your spirit, your personality, but then we, we need to be indwelt and led by the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes your, your human nature will cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Very often, as Paul writes in Romans 7, your human nature will resist and fight against the Spirit of God. Um, that's, that's why, and it's prayer, and it's the Word, and it's establishing good habits. But the more we walk with Christ, and we, we begin to sense the leading of the Holy Spirit, and we train ourselves with God's help for God's glory, we train ourselves to follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, eventually it, it becomes just a joy. So um, I don't think a Christian or anybody would be possessed by an angel because the non-fallen angels would not try to intrude into God's realm like that. On, only the Holy Spirit has the right to possess and control a human. Amen. Forrest, thank you for that. Good question, and uh, we appreciate it so much. Let's go to Oklahoma and talk to William. William, welcome. Well, thanks for taking my call. I just had a question in the Bible about prophecy and revelations. Um, 
where does it mention anything like Islam taking over the country? Because basically Christianity was in Egypt and Iran and Iraq, and when they talk about Turkey and the church at Smyrna and Antioch and like there, and does it mention anything about the crusades and in, in the prophecy um, uh, about them? Because even Egypt had the Coptic Christians that were left at the uh Islam beheaded, you know, on a camera in the orange jacket. So I was just wondering what that's a foretell of uh, Islam. And I'll just hang up and okay. the answer. Okay, William, thank you for calling. We appreciate that. Alex, it does talk about world religion, and it seems like there's going to be a, the only word I know, a connection uh, with the Antichrist, with heading religion, and it becoming trying to bring it all under one umbrella. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like it specifically Islam, but it's them coming some way together. Uh, what would you say to that? Well, you, you know, Muhammad was born in like 571, and Islam was started around 622. So Islam didn't exist till you know, five, six hundred years after the birth of Christianity. There's a verse in Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 and uh, 18, that says, uh, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear, I will raise up for you a prophet from among your brethren, and put his words in my mouth. Well, most scholars acknowledge that's a prophecy about Jesus, because you know, um, Jesus came from the line of Isaac, whereas, of course, Muhammad came from the line of Ishmael. So, um, to the caller's question, the Bible doesn't specifically talk about Islam, really, although in Genesis 16 it does talk about the children of Ishmael will be wild. It's a very interesting word in Genesis. It says, Ishmael will set his face against every man, and he will dwell in opposition to his brethren, the children of Isaac. Now, not to generalize, because I know I know many Arab Christians, and I know former Muslims that have been born again, but many scholars have documented, not uh, the least of whom, you know, like Will Durant and Samuel Huntington, who was in the Carter administration, who wrote a book called The Clash of Civilizations. Many have documented how the Arab world has been I mean, for a thousand years, torn by strife and war. I mean, you look at the Taliban right now. Um, America is not evacuated from Afghanistan two weeks, and already bloodshed and violence has moved back in. And so um, the Bible doesn't specifically mention Islam. Uh, although Muslims do try to cherry-pick certain Bible verses and try to apply them to Muhammad. But, Bert, um, the children of Ishmael being violent and certainly persecuting the children of of, it, of Isaac, it, history has played out this way, hasn't it? It has. And uh, surprise, surprise that uh, Taliban is is killing people. Oh, wow, Alex. I'm sorry. Who knew the Taliban did that kind of thing? That's right. I'm sorry. Okay. Thank you, William. Let's go to North Carolina and talk to John. John, welcome. Thank you for taking my call. 
You guys have really been a blessing to me, and I enjoy listening to you. My question is this. On the sixth day, uh, God made all the races. Then on the seventh day, he rested. Now, it's my understanding on the eighth day, he made Atadam. He made Adam a special race through which Christ would be born. I'd just like to get your comments on that. Alex hadn't got a lot of time. Uh, I don't know where that information is from, John. Go ahead, Alex. Um, well, on the sixth day, he created man. Um, and, you know, throughout the Genesis 1 and 2 creation events, um, you know, in Genesis one twenty seven, it says he made um, man in his image, uh, in the image of God, created he them male and female. But then it goes back, and it talks about that he formed Adam from out of the dust on the ground and breathed into his life, and man became a living soul. What I would say is God didn't create races, plural. There's only one race, the human race. Now, within Adam and Eve was the genetic potential for all of the um, you know, secondary physical characteristics we see, height, hair color, eye color, skin color. Um, we, we talk about the uh, ethnic distinctives. Uh, Asian people have a certain look. Uh, African people have a certain look. European Caucasians have a certain look. Um, you know, the Oriental people have a certain look. But we're all of one race, the human race. What's so interesting, Bert, um, there are 126 breeds of dogs, yet within the original canine pair, there's enough genetic potentiality that breeding, 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 and all these um, dominant characteristics manifest themselves. That's how it is in the human in the human race. Um, all of these, uh, we we Scots are kind of short and fat and <laughs> dumpy, but that's just the genetic makeup that we got. But look, we're all humans, aren't we, Bert? We are. About the eighth day, no. What happens in chapter two is God zeroes in on what happened when he created man. It's not another creation story. Uh, I think that that's misleading what the scripture has to say, to say God created Adam on the first day of the second week. Hey, Alex, we'll continue tomorrow. We're going to talk a little bit about King David. I'm excited about that. Folks, stay tuned to Exploring the Word in the American Family Radio Network. Most of all, tell people about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.